What's going on, everybody, and welcome back. This is episode number 51 of RizzoCast, and I'm joined today by none other than uh, a guy who played eight seasons in the show, uh, parts of eight seasons in the, in the show with Texas, Boston, Colorado, and then finished up with the Blue Jays. Now he's the founder of She Gone Hitting, where he posts videos uh, and does a lot of mimicking of kind of the new school hitting gurus. Uh, so we love to see it. Jeff Fry is here. Jeff, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing really well. So obviously spring training's happening right now. Players are starting to break camp. Uh, opening days in just a few days now. It's pretty crazy how time flies. What was this kind of what was this time kind of like for you? Was it, you know, just kind of getting steady with that bat, seeing live pitches? What were you doing this time of year? Well, to be honest with you, for the most part of my career, it was a pretty stressful time because it wasn't like I was a you know, a shoe in to make the team. There's several years where I was counting the days to wonder if they were going to purchase my contract or not. And uh, so it was pretty stressful. I mean, it was, I really enjoyed it spring training because it was always nice weather in Florida and, you know, I mean, heck we're playing, playing a game, you know, a kid's game for a living, but uh, there was definitely some pretty stressful times. So Jeff, people are loving this stuff with, with you kind of, mocking uh they are mimicking i should say the 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 new school hitting gurus so what was kind of the inspiration to start this and start doing these videos and um how how's it been going well the inspiration was uh you know i'm on a group text with a couple scout buddies of mine and we send each other these funny things we see and so i i had my son video me in the backyard one day it was like a 12 second video of me doing something you know and I said oh the light bulb went on I heard about the light bulb moment and so I posted it and I get a text from one of my buddies he goes man you got 4,000 views on your video I was like shut up you're crazy and then, and then I looked at it, I was like what's going on here and that night I can't even tell you how many direct messages I had from people just coming after me right and saying what a sorry you, you know what I am and calling my kids names and they just ticked me off and so of course I had to make a second video at the end of the second video I inadvertently said she gone and one of my friends says you have to hashtag she gone I was like what does that mean I don't even know what that means <laughs> so I did and then that's kind of where the she gone uh, movement which is now we call the she gone nation got started so did you expect it to kind of blow up the way it did no chance no chance. I had no idea. I really wasn't on social media very much. And uh, I, I was told by friends, hey, you need to get on Twitter before all this stuff, you know. And I was like, I've been on Twitter for like seven years and never used it. So I was like, all right, I, I really wanted to promote. Uh, I really want to do keynote speaking and go out and talk to colleges and high schools and, you know, anything associated with baseball and and so I was like, man, I have to develop more of a presence on social media so people know who I am. A lot of people didn't know who I was. And so that was kind of the crux of it. And now it's just kind of taken off. Yeah. So you're a kid of the 80s. And I mean, hitting looked a whole lot different than it does than it did than it does now. I mean, we have, of course, these hitting gurus that never played professional baseball. So what's kind of the biggest difference that you've seen in terms of instruction from when you came up, maybe through the minor leagues at the college level, compared to maybe what 
guys are learning today because I'm sure there's plenty of, of topic of subject matter there for differences. Yeah, I keep seeing the swing, the swing design. You got to design your swing to have this certain launch angle. And, um, you know, and I tell people this all the time. I played professional for 15 years um, and never once had one of my hitting coaches ever talk to me about my swing. And now everybody's got to, you know, design their swing. And I think it started with, with golf, you know, when golf started doing all this slow-mo stuff and watching these swings and, you know, perfecting these swings. And when you look through baseball history, there's no two guys you can see that hit the same, you know, and guys were, had great career hall of fame careers with totally different setups, different swings, different finishes. And now the gurus are out there trying to convince people that there's one way to do it. And they're the only one who knows how to teach it. And it's just a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. So what's kind of your biggest issue with this group? You know, as I mentioned, none of them have really gotten into professional baseball. There's a lot of them that have studied like biotech, <laughs> biotechnology. So what is kind of your biggest issue with the way hitting is being taught today? I just don't think it's going to work for kids. I think kids are not going to be successful, especially young kids. And it's a cookie cutter approach where everybody, we teach everybody to hit this one certain style like this. Maybe, you know, a lot of it is let's watch videos of what the great players of the game hit like, and let's try to hit like them. Well, man, that's, a novel idea, right? Let's all try to hit like the best player. And we're not that player. We're all different. And me being in my size and stature, when I played 5'9", 160, 165, if I would have tried to hit like Juan Gonzalez and Jose Canseco, it wouldn't have worked for me. Yeah. And so you have to develop your own unique style through trial and error and find out what works for you and then just focus on that style of hitting and be as good as you can possibly be at doing it. There's a lot of aspects in today's um, offensive strategy that I'm not so sure about uh, as you are, uh, as you are not so sure about either, but, and there's, there's also some that I don't mind. Like I think exit velocity is useful. Cause I think we've, you know, it's, it, there's, there's a way to quantify line drives now. I mean, that's always been the, the goal is, is line drive. So is there any, is there anything in today's game um, like that you like stuff that you kind of dig? Like I dig that. And the launch angle, I mean, I I'm right there with you. Launch angle, I think is a bunch of hogwash, but is there anything in today's game in today's sabermetrically driven game that Jeff Fry kind of admires? I mean, I, I think it's kind of cool when you see how hard a guy hits the ball, you know, that's cool, but you know, there's a lot of great hitters in the past that didn't hit the ball 110 miles an hour. They just had the magic wand and knew how to get hits. I mean, if you look at some of the greatest hitters in the history of this game, Rod Carew, Pete Rose, those guys hit the ball hard, but they also had a knack for finding the holes, you know, and I don't think you can measure. I think my biggest problem is we're trying to determine if a guy is a good hitter based on his numbers off the bat, his launch angle, his exit velocity. And I don't think that's the case. I mean, in a certain game situation where all you need is a little blooper base hit to win the game, it doesn't matter how hard you hit it. It matters where you hit it. And I don't think a lot of the people that are, you know, looking at this stuff, 
and determine who the good players are. They, I don't think they know what they're looking at. And it's all, to me, it's almost like a video game. And I'm not against the data and the information. I would have used it, but it wouldn't have changed the style, you know, my approach when I played. Yeah, no, 100%. And especially if the, uh, the left side of the infield, there's one guy on it. I mean, so what do you think about the shift? Because I've been asking people about the shift. I mean, it's easy. It's easy to say, you know, just learn to hit the ball the other way. But these guys are losing hits left and right. And I know a lot of it has to do with them, you know, left handed hitters, especially not adjusting. What is kind of your view on the shift? Would you would you be in favor of a ban? Do you like the strategy? What's your thoughts? I would be against the ban. I think that'd be giving in um, to hitters who are stubborn and not, it's not just the hitter's fault. It's the guys upstairs that are the problem that are, that didn't play the game that say, Hey, don't cut down your swing with two strikes. You know, we, we need you to hit an extra base hit when a single will work, you know, a base hit is a base hit. Okay. And you know, the thing about the, you're better off striking out than putting the ball in play because if you put the ball in play, you're going to be out anyway, because all the fielders are so great. That's nonsense. I mean, who, who possibly, you know, with any common sense could believe that's the case. And I would be against the shift, against banning the shift because I believe the players have to be forced to make adjustments. And if the guy, you know, if Joey Gallo wants to keep hitting one hoppers to the second baseman who's fine, shallow right field, that's his fault. You know, stay back a little bit. And I think he is making, finally making an adjustment and knowing that he can use the whole field he can hit the ball out of any part of the field. So why does he have to pull everything? And I think it's up to the players to make those adjustments. Yeah, that's insane. Gal is a guy that reached 100 homers before 100 singles, and I think that's absurd. Uh, so, yeah, you mentioned the strikeouts. At your very best, Jeff, you were a guy who walked more times than you struck out. How troubling is it that strikeouts have become, you know, a, kind of a acceptable? I mean, I in high school, I mean, I don't, I don't understand how, you know, you're, you're, you're told not to strike out. There's a guy in runner scoring position, uh, less than, you know, nobody out and you're striking out. That's not a good thing. And it's, it's, it's ignored now it's accepted in today's game. People look at it as another out. Um, I don't get it. What are your thoughts about the, the high strikeout rate? I think it's boring. It's terrible for the game that, that we're accepting strikeouts. And, you know, one of the teams I follow the Rangers yet, uh, two days ago, in a spring training game, they had 18 strikeouts. That's two-thirds of the outs are strikeouts, you know, with no action. And I think that's part of what's wrong with the game is that there's not enough action. And people are going to stop watching. It's hard to get people to watch a three-hour baseball game in the first place if you're not a true baseball fan. So to get the casual fan to sit through a game where each team strikes out 15 times in the game, I mean, the, the fans are going to stop watching, and I think it's something that's very important that realizing cutting down your swing with two strikes, and you can still hit a home run with two strikes if you cut down your swing. Look what Barry Bonds he used to choke up two or three inches on the bat. Dude never struck out. You know, so I think it's – the strikeouts, I think, are horrible for the game that's now become accepted. Yeah, over 162-game average, Barry Bonds struck out uh, an average of 83 times in 22 years. So that's pretty, and if you look at all the top home run hitters in the history of the game, you know, Alex Rodriguez, lifetime 295 hitter, um, you know, Henry Aaron, lifetime 305 hitter. These guys are, are good hitters aside. So I think the, 
the narrative that you have to kind of sacrifice some contact and hand-eye coordination for power. I think that's a little bit pushing it a little bit. Um, so uh, last podcast, I, I talked I talked about this kind of these same issues, and I, I didn't give any credit to the pitchers, and I think that was a mistake. Uh, the, the pitchers in today's game are great. The velocity is at an all-time high. But not just that. I think it's more than velocity. It's the secondary pitches. I mean, we're seeing wipeout sliders, wipeout curveballs, amazing changeups. What's it like watching some of these guys on the mound and how talented they are with the with you know some of the stuff they have? Well, the biggest thing you see is the jump and velocity, mm-hmm. and I don't know how much of that is real or the new technology. But I mean, there are definitely some outstanding pitchers in the game. I mean. Jacob DeGrom looks unhittable. Um, Bieber is filthy. There, uh, Max Scherzer, I know he's, you know, not as, as good as he probably was four or five years ago, but he's still one of the top pitchers in the game. Justin Verlander. I mean, there's some great pitchers, but I think one thing I think is with all the velocity stuff, it's like I think there's a lot more throwers in the game than there used to be. So just bring a guy up to the big leagues because he throws 98 even though, you know, he, he has no command. Because these guys in the big leagues, they can hit 98 if it's down the middle and straight. They can time a speeding bullet. These guys will eventually adjust. And that's another one of the things about, you know, guys from my era couldn't compete today because the average fastball was 92 back then. We would have found a way. We would have found a way to hit it. Yeah, and I, I think uh... – you mentioned the throwers rather than pitchers. I think teams, especially in the bullpen, I've noticed that they're relying a lot on effectively wild command to, to get outs. What's the, I mean, the bullpens are crazy. I mean, there's the Royals kind of were the catalyst for this few years ago when they had, you know, the sixth inning guy, seventh inning guy, eighth inning, ninth inning. In your, in your time and when during your career, bull, the bullpen was kind of like, you know, if you were a starter and you got knocked out of the rotation, that's where you would go to the bullpen. It's different now because now in the bullpen, each, of, you know, each guy has to be talented, has to be striking guys out. What's kind of the evolution that you've seen from the bullpen? Well, I mean, when I was playing in, in the late 90s against the Yankees, they, they kind of started doing this. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mariano Rivera was a setup man for John Wetland. And if you got to the seventh inning and you were losing, they were bringing in, uh, they were bringing in Jeff Nelson who threw like low nineties, but had a Frisbee slider, you know, who would kill righties. And then they'd bring in Mike Stanton lefty who would come in there and kill lefties or Graham Lloyd. And then if you got to the eighth inning, it was pretty much game over because he had Mariano Rivera for the eighth until he took over for John Wetland and then John Wetland for the ninth. So that was all the way back in the late nineties. I know it's changed now. I remember the Royals bullpen, you know, having three or four guys through, you know, upper nineties. And, um, but now it's even to another level where some of these teams, you get to the sixth, they're bringing in four dudes in a row that throw close to a hundred. And if you saw the world series and you saw the Rays, that's what they did. That was their formula. Every guy that came in threw harder than the last guy, but he also saw guys who, weren't necessarily painting the corners. They were just living off of their velocity and it come back to hurt them. Yeah, for sure. Where did the stolen bases go? Where, like what happened to the stolen bases? Why are stolen bases? I mean, I, I think I read a stat where 
nobody's stolen over 70 bags in the past like 15 years or something. Where have they gone? Like, cause I know major league baseball is trying to instill some rules to bring them back. They're trying to expand the bags a little bit, a few inches. What happened to stolen bases? Cause I think that's a big part of, you know, entertainment in terms of bringing fans in, but where, you know, these guys are athletic enough to do it. Mike Trout is quick. Mike Trout is an NFL running back um, playing baseball. He's quick, but he's only stealing, you know, five bags a year. What's going on? Where's the stolen bases? Two things because uh, first off it's the analytical analytical departments that have determined that, it's not worth the risk to try and steal bases unless you are successful 80% of the time or more. So it's not worth it, um, you know, to take that chance. And also it's not worth the chance that Mike Trout, you know, arguably the best player in the game um, gets injured trying to steal a base. You know what, what it's not worth it. We need him on the field. And I think they take the large sample size over the whole season and say, okay, if we just do this for the whole season, this is going to work out better for us. We need Mike Trout on the field for 150 games. We can't risk him still on a base in the fifth inning, a meaningless game against the Pirates in July. You know, we need him on the field. And I think that's the big problem with it. And I think it's an absolute joke that now they're trying to um, bring the stolen base back. Let's change the rules and make it easier to steal a base now. Uh, let's make the bases bigger. Let's limit the number of pickoff throws. Let's make lefties have to step off you know to me it's embarrassing I, I they can't they couldn't have consulted with former major league players when they brought in these new rules because there's no way these guys would buy into that do you guys have do you guys have a say you know as mlb alumni and i know you didn't you didn't reach the 10 years i guess the 10 years is where they kind of value opinions more with the pensions and stuff but do you guys ever get you know, phoned and said, Hey, you know, what's your opinion on this by the players association? Do you have any, cause I know you're, you've, you've done some stuff, you know, with, as an agent, are you, are you looked at as kind of a, a somebody to refer to on the, on this kind of stuff? No, I don't think anybody wants my opinion because I might give it to them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you what I think. And I know they've brought in players, you know, in the commissioner's office to help with some things like that. But I think they miss out on, you know, what you've seen in Major League Baseball is baseball people pushed aside for non-baseball people to make baseball decisions. And um, I have a lot of friends in the game who, you know, really can't speak out because they're afraid of the repercussions if they speak out, speak their mind. And they just don't want our opinion anymore. So the less of us around, the less of us are going to talk, at, speak up about, you know, speak out about our thoughts on what's going on. Yeah, that's a shame. And, and back to the, the, the bases thing, I don't think expanding, you know, two inches for bases, I don't think it's going to even be noticeable, let alone, you know, upgrade stolen bases. And I think the lefty pickoff move is such an art as a base runner to try and figure that out. It's a puzzle. And it's, I think it's getting rid of that, that side of the game. So let, let's get into your career a little bit. Who's your favorite player or, uh, you know, favorite player or hitter? Actually, you know what? Let's start with this. Who's your favorite player or hitter to watch in today's game? Who, what guy do you think is kind of somebody that – what am I trying to say here? Just who is your favorite player or hitter to watch uh, in today's game? We'll start there. 
I mean, probably Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's the best. But I do enjoy watching a lot of the guys. I mean, Mookie Betts is fun to watch. Juan Soto, Freddie Freeman. I mean, there's a lot of great hitters in the game. Um, Arenado, um, you know, all different. And the thing that, you know, I've just mentioned five guys, not not two of those guys hit the same. They all have their own unique styles, you know. And I I, I appreciate guys that are good hitters and not just guys that are go up there striking out 200 times and hitting 40 homers and hitting 240. I appreciate guys that still value their batting average because I think batting average is important. Yeah, no doubt. And I think Soto is one of, he's going to be, he's going to be a, he already is a star, but I think he's going to really make his mark in DC. And he's a guy who just has great knowledge of the strike zone at such a young age. So now let's get into a little bit of your career. You were born in Oakland, but grew up in Oklahoma. What's kind of the story on that? How, how did you get the Oakland, the Oakland fixture in there, but, you know, kind of growing up in Oklahoma, how did that work out? I mean, I, I lived the first 16 years of my life in California mm. and I didn't move to Oklahoma till I was a junior in high school. I uh, moved uh, with my, I was living with my grandparents in California at the time. And my aunt and uncle were moving to Oklahoma and my grandmother was having a hard time taking care of my grandfather. So my uncle and aunt moved my grandparents and me and my four cousins. We loaded up in a truck and drove from uh, the Bay Area to a small town in eastern Oklahoma that had 2,000 people, and we just transplanted our lives into Oklahoma. So there, there's really no teams in Oklahoma. Were you, were you kind of an A's fan from you know, growing up in Oakland? Did you take that with you to Oklahoma? Well, where was your allegiance in baseball? Uh, the Giants. Giants. Yeah, I grew up a Giants fan. Um, yeah. Didn't really like the A's. You know, I was brainwashed as a kid. I had to like the Giants and hate the A's, like the 49ers and hate the Raiders. And we only had one basketball team, so I had to like the Warriors. And that was, you know, those were my teams. And when I moved to Oklahoma, um, I didn't even realize there was a double-A and triple-A affiliate for the Rangers in Tulsa and Oklahoma City until later on. When I was in high school, I had no idea. I think I went to Tulsa one time the entire time I was, you know, in high school. Wow, so you caught some of the, the the really bad Giants teams in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I got to see the end of Willie Mays' career and Willie McCovey. Um, and I got to uh, – I mean, my favorite player as a kid was Jack Clark, Jack the Ripper, who's actually coming on my podcast next week. I got to meet him about a month ago. It was pretty awesome. So, uh, I mean, he was, you know, a big, powerful, right-handed – hitting right fielder at the time when I was a young kid. And so, yeah, I just loyal to the giants, even though they weren't very good back then. Yeah. And then you, you know, speaking of kind of meeting your, your idols, you know, playing, playing with Nolan Ryan, I mean, you're, you're making your MLB debut. I looked this up and Nolan Ryan's on the mound, 45 year old Nolan Ryan. I mean, that must've been insane for you. Yeah, it was nuts. I mean, you know, I get I get the call that day. I got to hop on a flight to, to Dallas and I get to the stadium at 530. The game's at 705 and um, batting practice was over at six. They said, if you hurry up, you can get out there for BP. And I was like, man, I don't even have my stuff unpacked, you know. And and they said, well, go check out the lineup. So I walk over and look at the lineup and I see me number 51 
um, leading off, playing second. And look at the bottom, and Nolan Ryan's pitching for us that night. I'm like, oh, my God, right into the fire of my first game. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, and also in your career when you were with the Blue Jays, hitting for the cycle. What was that like? Tell me about that day. It's a crazy day. I mean, I was playing pretty sporadically at that point. We were kind of out of the race, and um, I was more of a utility-type player. So I never knew going to the field if I was going to be in the lineup. I knew we were playing the Rangers. I knew Darren Oliver was my, you know, good friend with the Rangers. We were teammates and I knew he was pitching. So I show up that day and I look at the lineup. I'm hitting ninth and playing third base, you know? So I was like, you know, I didn't really expect it to be the, the kind of day that it turned out to be. And, you know, I get kind of a cheap triple, my first at bat turf triple, and then, uh, you know, double in the gap and then a homer. And I'm like, Oh my God, I need a single for the cycle. You know, I mean, I've hit more singles than any other hit in my life. And we were winning by eight runs in the eighth inning. And I've always been the guy who, you know, I played the game right. I did nothing selfishly. And so I asked our hitting coach, Cito Gaston, who's, I mean, this guy was a legend. He won two World Series with the Blue Jays, four pennants. He's our hitting coach. I said, Cito, what do I do if I hit one in the corner right here or in the gap? He goes, stop it first and tell him I told you to. I was like, are you sure? Cause I don't want to do something to make show up the other team, you know, he goes, yes. So sure enough, I hit a freaking gapper. And as I'm rounding first, I'm yelling at the first base coach, Garth Orge. What do I do? What do I do? And he's like, stay here, stay here. So I was like, all right. So I'd make a big turn and go back. And I didn't know Kelly Gruber was at the game. You know, he's the only guy that ever done it. And his standing ovation, he walks on the field and I was like, Oh my God, what happened? You know, I caught some flack for stopping at first. I'm not going to lie, but, uh, you know, Cito Gaston tells you it's okay. I don't really care what anybody else says. So would you have done it again? Would you have stopped that first if you were to do it again? Yeah. I mean, if it was a close game, I would have gone to second. But we were winning by eight runs in the bottom of the eighth inning. Oh, yeah. Stay. The game was, <laughs> the game was over. Yeah. You know, and I have a chance, you know, to do one thing selfishly my whole career, and I take it, and now I'm the selfish player. You know, some people say that, you know, you know, we're not cut from the same cloth. I would have gone to second. I was like, shut up. You don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned, you know, at that time you were kind of, you know, bringing some different gloves around. I think that's a cool thing that's happening in today's game where guys are playing different positions. What was it like, you know, kind of preparing for, you know, the unknown, walking to the ballpark every day and, Maybe you're going to play second. Maybe you're going to get a random start in the outfield. Maybe you're going to play, you know, an inning or two at short. What was that kind of, you know, was that, did you like doing that or did you like kind of being stable at second base? I, I would rather just play second base because that was, you know, the position I felt I was best at. But um, at the point in my career when I started having to do that, uh, I welcomed it. I just wanted it. To, I just wanted to play. You know, and the manager's like, can you play center field? I was like, yep. Because I knew that would get me in the lineup. I'm, you know, maybe I played two games my whole life in center field, but now I'm playing center field in Fenway Park. And, uh, you know, the only position I really didn't like much was third base. Uh, I didn't have a really strong arm. So I really had to do everything perfect to make a good, strong throw. And um, it's kind of scary at third base with some of these big right-handed hitters up. And we got – 
Tim Wakefield or a soft tossing lefty pitcher, man. You know, something's getting ready to come come your way really hard. Yeah, whenever I think of playing third base, you know, I mean, Gary Sheffield at the plate playing third base, I mean, I would I'd probably take a breather. <laughs> I would not want to be there in that situation. Well, the most scared I ever was was playing third base in old Montreal Stadium um, with a soft tossing lefty on the mound and Vladimir Guerrero hitting. And I'm looking at this old turf, and it's like all stitched up. It was like different colors of thread. It was so old and so terrible. I was like, this dude, I'm playing shallow left field. This dude's going to hit a rocket at me. And who knows where it's going to bounce and knock, hit me right in the mouth. So I was pretty scared. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, you definitely have an excuse to be scared. <laughs> so transitioning out of the game, becoming an agent. I mean, I, I, I've read enough, you know, I'm reading a book right now. It's called The Game. And it's about kind of how baseball got rich after the uh, the strike happened. And, you know, everything, you know, money kind of got divided into the smaller teams and revenue became, you know, got shared among some of the teams and the smaller markets grew a little bit. So becoming an agent, why did you want to get involved in baseball politics? What was what was kind of the uh, the reasoning behind helping out some of the players in you know, in the next generation? Well, at the end of my career, my agent kind of bailed on me and he, uh, he'd been my agent almost my whole big league career. And I needed less than a year in the big leagues. And I was setting home and spring training was already going on. And I called him. I was like, Hey, what do you got? You got anything for me? He goes, Hey man, I'm busy with arbitration cases. Can you make some phone calls on your own call independent league teams? And I'm like, what? Oh, seriously. So I'm like, and I had an opportunity when I retired, you know, an old uh, ex friend of mine now asked me if, uh, you know, I wanted to get involved in, in being an agent. So I said, yeah, I'd love to stay in the game and have an opportunity to do it. And, you know, I, I want to be different than my agent was at the end of my career. I don't want to bail on a guy because things aren't working out. And so I started doing that in 2003 and I saw one of my clients for the Rangers today hit a two RBI double. So, you know, there's some good stuff that comes out of it too. Yeah, for sure. And I know you can't comment on some things, but some of these agents have like hundreds of players and, you know, that, as you mentioned, you know, your agent kind of bailed out on you. I feel like that's not something that I feel like that would happen a lot because these guys have so much to be responsible for. How many guys do you represent? And, and is it, is it like a, a number that you could keep track of? So, you know, form personal relationships with these guys and not forget about them per se. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, at one point I had like 30 or 40 guys. Now I only have a few guys. Um, it just, it, it can be overwhelming, you know, and it's like, uh, especially when you have guys, the tough part is when you have guys that you really like as people and, you know, you want to be there for them, but you know, they're never going to make you a dollar, but yet every year in spring training, they want their equipment. They want their bats. They want this. So it's just like throwing money in a hole that you know you're never going to get back. That's the hard part of it. You know, the rewarding part is when a guy you represented since high school makes the big leagues. It almost feels like I made the big leagues. You know, and I think that's the, the thing with a lot of these bigger companies. They have so many players that as long as you're doing well, man, you're important. But as soon as you hit the downside, they're not answering those phone calls like they used to. and, and and looking for opportunities for you. 
Yeah, no, it's a really tough business for sure. I could imagine. All right, real quick before we leave. And I, I, I want to start asking everybody this and you're going to be the first one. I think I might've asked Sean Estes, Estes this too. Who's the funniest teammate you've ever played with? Cause I feel like we need more fun in baseball. Who is that guy that just made you laugh in the, in the clubhouse? Who is that guy that you played with? Funniest teammate. Uh, Billy Ripken. Billy Ripken. Yeah, are you guys still in touch today? How's, you guys yeah, still- I had him on my podcast last week. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Billy's another guy who, you know, I watch him on TV all the time and he's kind of very much like yourself, a, a baseball traditionalist. Yeah. I mean, close second would be Bobby Witt. Bobby Witt is hilarious. But Billy Ripken is now hitting bombs right now with the Royals in spring training. Oh, he's unbelievable. And Bobby Witt's little brother, Doug Witt, uh, is very funny too. And he was our bullpen catcher when I was with the Rangers. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Jeff Fry, guys, uh, do you want to kind of what's the name of your podcast? So where can people find you? Uh, it's the She Gone Nation podcast. They can find it on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, they can follow me on Twitter at O3JFry. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I tried TikTok for about two weeks. I can't do TikTok. <laughs> I can't I'm, either. I'm too old for TikTok. And then, uh, you know, they could check me out at, at She Gone Hitting um, if they want to, you know, get a T-shirt or a hat or a tumbler or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I will not download TikTok. I mean, I see a few of them. It feels like I have a brain aneurysm every time I watch those videos. So, yeah, so you heard where you could find him. Of course, She Gone Hitting is the website. SheGoneHitting.com is the website where you could find all of his content. Great stuff, great videos. Jeff, I appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. Yes, yeah, Steve, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You guys could follow our podcast on Twitter and Instagram at RizzoCast. Again, it's on uh, everywhere you find your podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, everything in between. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching. Stay tuned. More content coming up soon and have a great rest of your day.